So what happened on December 7th and on the 8th, and they happened basically at the same time, but on different dates. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you just need to go study time zones again. Dead bod history. What if? Most of us can probably uh, recite Franklin Delano Roosevelt's December 8th speech to Congress in which he says, uh, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. Uh, we can probably recite those lines. We can probably get some of the next lines right and that the Empire of Japan um, launched a sneak attack, a surprise attack on American holdings, specifically in Pearl Harbor. Uh, in Hawaii at the naval base there, um, destroying a large number of our ships. A question we have been we have been um, given by one of our um, diehard devotees and subscribers, probably our favorite subscriber, to be honest. Um, Absolutely. Is what if Japan did not bomb Pearl Harbor? And that's a very interesting question um, because there's several questions I'd have to kind of ask back. And so that's our topic on this episode of What If? Dad Bod History, What If? I'm Eric. And I'm Jake. And welcome to Dad Bod History, What If? So, what if Japan did not bomb Pearl Harbor? Uh... Well, obviously, the first thing that would happen is USS Arizona would have, uh, once a war would have started, USS Arizona would have been the effective um, machine of dealing death to both Nazis and the Imperial Japanese um, from sea to shining sea. USS Uh Arizona would have been the flagship that destroyed Uh every fleet in its path. There might be some little bit of hyperbole there, but no, I think you're right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the question here though is interesting because we have to look at what actually happened on December seventh, and it happened on December seventh and December eighth. Uh, if you understand how the the international dateline works, which is to the west of Hawaii is that as soon as you cross that line, if you're moving west to cross the line, when you cross the line, you actually jump ahead a day. So if you cross the line at noon on December 7th, it's now noon on December 8th. And then the opposite happens if you're coming east. So what happened on December 7th and on the 8th, and they happened basically at the same time, but on different dates. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you just need to go study time zones again. Um, but the Japanese actually, they attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7th, the same time on December 8th, they were attacking Luzon in the Philippines, which is an American, uh, base. They're attacking Hong Kong, which is held by the British. They're attacking Thailand, Malaya, Guam, Shanghai, Singapore, and Wake Island. All of which were controlled by the British or the Americans or the Netherlands. So... You know, one of the the questions that we got this question, and, and I put in the notes here. Um, you know, does the question is, does Japan just not attack Pearl Harbor and attack all the rest, or does Japan does Japan withhold attacking the United States at all? And I think 
probably when you when the question is asked, it's more of a holistically. So the the Japan or the Empire of Japan refrains from attacking the United States at all. Yeah, and so and I think that that's the way you have to look at it. Yeah, because so for those of you that that are kind of unaware, you know, the the attack on Pearl Harbor was not a lone event by the Japanese. It was. So if we look kind of at the, the history of what's going on is Japan gets 80% of its oil from the United States. They get a large amount of tin and steel, aluminum, a lot of natural resources. If you're unfamiliar with Japan as the, the main islands, the home islands, they're not particularly rich in the kind of industrial resources you would need to run an empire. And that's why they've invaded places and whole places like Korea and parts of China um, because those places are rich in those resources. And that's why they've been spreading this this empire around. Um, but in 1940 and 41, the U.S. begins putting pressure on Japan and starts uh, kind of em- putting embargoes on Japan that allow Japan to buy less and less of those materials from the U.S. Because the U.S. kind of understands what they're doing is not something the U.S. is in favor of. And so they want to put pressure on them to stop. So... We'll kind of go with with my second point here. So Japan doesn't attack any U.S. holdings. Japan understanding that they're going to need to make a a move on resources, specifically in in places like Thailand and the Philippines. Uh, that means that they're going to have to move against U.S. Um, interests, and if they move against U.S. interests. Um, they're going to have to deal with the U.S. fleet. The U.S. fleet is based, the Pacific fleet is based at Pearl Harbor. And so the best bet for Japan is to do as much damage to that fleet as possible early on so that Japan can be unhindered for as long as possible. Which is Uh, why the attack on Pearl Harbor happened. It's not that they did it to start a war. In fact, they did it in the hopes of knocking out Yeah, to knock out the U.S. fleet. Yeah. And, And they did a really good job of hitting many of our battleships. USS Arizona was a total loss. USS Utah was, I, I believe, a total loss. USS California was uh, a near massive loss. They they brought that back. Um, There's another ship that was sunk and towed back to the Pacific, and then it broke its tow line and sunk somewhere in the Pacific. So we lost a lot of battleships. And it, early in World War II, um, this happened um, kind of in, in the north, uh, the North Sea between Norway and England and Germany is there was a big battleship battle and it was one of the last major battles of battleships, right? But this was kind of the emergence of the aircraft carrier and none of ours were hit on Pearl Harbor. They were out to sea at the time. So unbeknownst to everybody or unless you were, you know, really astute um, academic on or you're, you're clued into all the, the tactics of the Navy, <clears throat> the loss of battleships was, was pretty huge. But if you understood what was about to happen with how aircraft carriers were going to become the most important ship on the sea, and how mm-hmm. aircraft were going to become the most deadly weapon on the open sea, um, you can kind of realize that battleships were not as big of a loss as they seemed at the time. Especially in the Pacific Theater, right, where so much of it was island hopping and and being able to be mobile at sea, uh, the battleship, while awesome and while no other and, ship on its own could stand up to it, 
but it was not it was not nearly as crucial um, as the aircraft carrier became, and and that's the the fact that the the attack on Pearl Harbor didn't get the U.S. aircraft carriers is, and I think at the time they recognized that man we missed our chance because we didn't get any of their aircraft carriers. Yeah, and, um, and I mean to to be fair, the Japanese how they launched the attack on Pearl Harbor with a fleet of aircraft carriers and hundreds of airplanes. I mean, they couldn't have done that with battleships. They couldn't have rolled up mm-hmm. to Hawaii with a fleet of battleships. They had to do yeah. it with a fleet of aircraft carriers. And so, you know, this wasn't a lone attack. This was coordinated with several attacks around. Um, so the question is, if if Japan does not open war with the United States, you know, Br- the Britain and the, and the, sorry, the Dutch and the British had wanted to make a joint statement towards Japan with the United States' help, basically warning them of any movements in the Pacific on their holdings. And what eventually happened is the United States made um, a unilateral statement, if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, Mm -hmm. We made our own statement to Japan, basically saying, if you move further south, we are going to have to take some action. And that was kind of vague. Um, But if the if the Japanese do not, the Imperial Japan does not attack Pearl Harbor, does not attack Luzon, does not attack Guam or Wake Island. One of the possibilities that I read about here was, um, that the Japanese actually would have attacked, um, the Dutch East Indies and gone after the Netherlands holdings. Now at this point in the war, the Netherlands, um, are basically their, their government is in exile. Um, the Netherlands is now part of Nazi Germany. So, their holdings in the East Indies, which have a lot of resources, would have been a target for the Japanese. Those Japanese could have t- took those those Dutch East Indies, kind of maneuvered away from any British holdings, maneuvered around any American holdings, taken those Dutch holdings, and mm-hmm. um, you know probably end up in at war with Britain, but not necessarily with the United States. Well, and at the time, Britain had their hands full. Yeah, so I mean, so. they're, they're going to have holdings over there. Um, and the Dutch are not going to put up enough of a fight there against the Japanese. So that keeps the U.S. out of the war for the time being. However, kind of like we said with um, Germany after D-Day, by that point, 1944, Germany was, their destruction as an empire was assured. It was just a matter of time. The same thing is here with the United States and Japan. War will happen. It's just a matter of when is that going to take place and, and how is it going to take place. Because at some point, Japanese, the Japanese are going to run into a wall uh, in which they they can't stretch their empire any further without running into the United States empire. You know, we had taken an empire in the early 1900s after the Spanish-American War uh, mm-hmm. in which we gained a bunch of these islands. We used those for strategic and tactical purposes, including uh, our fleet at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. And the Japanese are going to run into that. So at some point, the Japanese are going to need to launch an attack against the U.S. And and part of it would have been, uh, I mean, there was a real fear that the Japanese were going to take Australia and New Zealand, which was was part of the British Empire. And 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 there was a real fear that that was going to happen. And so whether or not they attack 
us, the United States, if they push towards there, that might be a, enough of a firewall for the United States to say, well, we got to step in. Yeah. Because uh, if, if they get those two, why wouldn't they? If their hands hands are not full with us in 1942 and 43, it's mm-hmm. very likely that, that Australia and New Zealand do end up falling. Without our Navy making moves throughout that area, it's possible those could fall. Uh, yeah. And that might be enough to push us into a war. The problem is... Without a direct attack on U.S. soil, Americans kind of don't want to get involved. And there's which really was the mo. Yeah, until I mean, the '40s of the Americans, it's like it's not our problem. Yeah, and isolationism uh, is a kind of a big American thing uh, until Pearl Harbor happened. So if the Japanese don't hit any American bases, it's likely that the United States either waits or goes into an unpopular war yeah yeah and and you know that's kind of how the united states got pulled into wars i mean even as with uh, the spanish-american war it wasn't until the main blew up and some say well that was staged or or whatever it was but when the main but for sure in, in newspapers Harbor, had a great deal to do with yeah stirring up uh but that was the Emotion. impetus right. to get us into the war. Same thing in World War One, and, and, and Woodrow Wilson was very shrewd at how he maneuvered uh, U.S. relations with Germany. But it wasn't until, was it Lusitania? Well, Lusitania happened in 1915, but we didn't join until April of 1917. But it was continued attacks by Germany. Yeah, it was that unrestricted naval warfare. Yeah. That eventually drew the U.S. into the war. So the U.S. was really hesitant to getting into war. Same thing here in World War II. Germany had invaded uh, Poland and France in 1939. That The war in Europe had been raging for a couple of years. Likewise, Japan had been building their empire for years as well. Yeah, they had been out since 1936. Um, So so it, it wasn't a matter of like, well, when something happens, we'll get involved. It's like, no, things had been happening for a long, long time. And it wasn't even and a matter of allegiance. Was, I mean, we had, we, had, we had made our allegiance clear. Um, yeah, and we had the Lend-Lease Act program. with England. Yeah, so, but it was just American policies. We don't get involved in foreign wars. And what was the, the adage, don't go looking for dragons to slay? That was kind yeah. of the American international relations policy for the first hundred years or so. Since 1946, that's... That's what we do. Go yeah. find dragons to slay, even if they're baby dragons. Yeah, so now, growing up in America today, where it's like, we're always getting involved in foreign wars. If you were to talk to, literally, your grandfather, like, that's not how Americans do things until yeah. World War II flipped everything on its yeah, head. I don't think we had soldiers in any foreign country before 1945 yeah. as, as, a, as a matter of course. And after 1945... I mean, now you see it in the news. Um, I think Angela Merkel is getting upset with us because Trump is considering pulling American troops out of Germany for the first time since 1945. I don't think she's worried about Nazis coming back, but, you know, it's always good when you have somebody else paying for your defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet we've been there for 80, no, 70 years, 75 years. Yeah. Uh, do we need And it? in Japan. Yeah, and Japan. The same thing. And all the islands, Okinawa. Um, yeah. And, you know, the Japanese hadn't sent their military um, off their home island since 1945 until 2001. Mm-hmm. And they sent a medical troop ship um, out to assist with 
the Allied um, invasion of Afghanistan. Yeah, the the war against war on terror. So it's it's just interesting how at, at some point the American flip really switched, or the American switch really flipped. Uh, I like it the first way you said it. That was good. <laughs> uh, so it it really flipped after or during World War Two. I mean, even World War One was not enough to really convince us to stay involved. You know, when World War One was over, we're like, all right, let's, let's get back home. We did what we were supposed to do. And yeah. it's true that Americans as individuals gotten involved in the Spanish Civil War, have gotten involved in the Eagle Squadrons in England during World War Two before we were involved uh, during the Battle of Britain. So, but after 1945, maybe that what flips is the idea that if we don't get involved, these things get out of hand. Yeah. You end up with people trying to make empires. And oddly enough, we end up with soldiers in 180 countries. And, yeah. um, you know... And we, we end up for, as a, for good reason. an empire by default. Yeah, maybe for good reason. I mean, the, the alternative is handing these things over to the, the Russian communists and the, the Chinese communists... And we're on. Well, and I think you could have made a, you could have made a an argument had America not gotten involved in the war against Japan, um, or if they waited another year or two to get involved. There's a very real chance that you have a a, a, a very strong Japanese empire in Indochina and Southeast Asia, and then the Philippines and possibly New Zealand, possibly Australia. Mm-hmm. For quite a while, and that's rubbing up against that's uh, the communist China, but it's pushing against the communist China or Russia. Instead, and there is no American presence, there is no European presence in Southeast Asia. So it would have, it would have been very different, yeah. um, you know. And it's possible that, that America, had they waited until 1942 or 43 to get involved in the Pacific, that they still could have won. But man, it would have been a whole lot harder to push Japan out of those places had they had another year or two to entrench themselves. I mean, it was hard as it was. So to, to hesitate because we weren't attacked could have been much more difficult if we were eventually going to get in war anyway. Um, Whereas I still think in Europe, even if we don't necessarily get involved in Europe, I still think Russia turns the tide against Germany in Europe. Yeah, I mean, Russia's going to have the numbers and the iron will just to push bodies against Germany. The question is, we kind of talked about this with what if on D-Day, do do the British and Free French and and maybe like the Polish exiles have enough to give a a second front to Germany? without Americans. <clears throat> and we've said, we've tough. talked about it before. One of the, one of the things that the Americans brought and not, not to pat ourselves on the shoulder because we haven't been a part of this, um, is kind of that decentralization of command to simply put, you know, everyone knows what the job is. So if some part of the plan breaks apart, you still know what the objective is. Go get the objective. Mm-hmm. Um, by the means that you've been trained to do and don't wait for orders 
do your job. Which served as well in, in Europe, certainly on D-Day, but especially in the Pacific. That yeah. decentralized command was crucial to victory. Um, so yeah, it, it would have been very interesting. I, like I said, I still think Russia turns the tide in Europe, but I don't know if the tide gets turned in Japan if we wait until 1943 to get involved. Um, because, I mean, that's that's a long time to let Japan kind of hold. There, there really is no other opposition in the Pacific. You know, my, my thought here with, with this what if is, is also... You know, there's two kinds of what ifs when we when we give these historical what ifs, and that is, one is where some happenstance or some circumstances change slightly to to change the outcome of an event. Mm-hmm. The other is a different decision made, right? And this would have been the Japanese make a different decision as opposed to if D-Day failed, it fails based on some circumstances, whether it's the weather or <laughs> all the all the bombings miss their target or you know whatever you come up with um that one fails on some some maybe uh uncontainable circumstance mm-hmm. the japanese not attacking pearl harbor is a decisive thing their decision to attack pearl harbor was weighed against a variety of other decisions all of which came to we are going to end up at war with this nation. So if that's going to happen, we have to take out, take them out at the knees. And that is their Pacific fleet. And so their decision to attack Pearl Harbor, which then says, we're also going to attack the Philippines. We're going to attack Guam. We're going to attack Wake Island. We're going to hit all these targets at once um, because we want to put them out of the war as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, they fail to do that effectively enough. They do take the Philippines. Um, they do hurt our fleet. They do damage a lot of battleships, but they miss the carriers. Um, and we do eventually retake the Philippines, although it's much later on. So, you know, they made a decision. It may have been the most effective decision uh, in terms of what their objectives were, but... Um, it wasn't enough. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe that's the best way to look at it, is that it's not that they chose to attack the United States lightly. It, it mm. was a matter of weighing cost-benefit, and they needed those materials, and the United States wasn't selling them to them anymore. And so, in their mind, the next best option is, if we got to fight you, we're going to fight you on our terms, right. which means we're going to attack you unprovoked, and uh, and try to knock you out of the fight now, so that we can capitalize on our gains. Yeah, and it didn't and it didn't work. I mean, like you said, it didn't work out. But that's why they did it. And and we can say, well, had they waited, maybe they would have um, been able to solidify. But there was definitely a reason that they chose to attack when they did, because in their mind, without those materials. It was a matter of time to them. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess that's that's kind of sums it up. If, if Japan didn't attack Pearl Harbor, uh, 
you know, we, we kind of end up on two conclusions there. One being they put themselves in a, in a tougher position if mm-hmm. they don't hit us where, when they did and where they did and how they did. But at the same time, if we don't get drawn into the war effectively, uh, the United States is not an effective ally to the British and the, and the Soviets in defeating Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan. Yeah. Um, fascist Italy is going to fall anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were barely hanging on as it was. So, <laughs> so right. I, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's tough because again, it's going to depend on some other things too, but those two outcomes are, are much clearer in that. Um, I, I, I honestly think, Japan is if they don't attack Pearl Harbor, they actually get an empire that they're able to keep more of um, by keeping us out of the war. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What if? All right. Well, I'm Jake, and, and this is Eric, and we'll see you next time. Have a good one.